It's a pleasure to be back on Chambers Talks, a chance to share information with who I view to be some of the top global leaders, uh, both from a business and a political perspective and an educational perspective around the world. Uh, today, I have a unique honor to be doing a session with Tim Hodges, who's been a friend for over a decade. Uh, I've watched how he's reinvented uh, uh, Deutsche Telekom. Uh, we shared a dream, Tim, we talked about a decade ago that we thought was very, very futuristic on digitization of countries and companies and individuals. And it turned out it occurred even faster than before. So today's chance is one of sharing views and for us to learn from your experience, Tim. Uh, you were kind enough to, to listen to uh, a session that uh, I did with Hans, the prior leader of uh, Ericsson and now Verizon. And and it was a great session going back and forth. Uh, today's session, I know, will be equally as good or even better among two friends. For the audience, uh, everybody will know you, of course, in Europe and, and a fair amount across the U.S., but just a real quick snapshot. Uh, what Tim has been able to do in the last almost decade at DT has been a true transformation. And it is so hard to change a company that has been successful and yet realize if you don't change, the most dangerous thing you may do is keep doing the right thing for too long. And as you change an organization, how do you anticipate how technology and business models change and the speed at which they're going to change? We add to that the complexity going on in today's world with inflation running at uh, rates that Kennedy, this generation, has never seen, both in Germany, Europe, and here in the U.S., uh, we have geopolitical issues uh, in the Ukraine and in China. Uh, we have supply chain issues that are global. We've got economies that are struggling a little bit. And yet at the same time, we're raising interest rates and getting that balance is very, very tough. I know, Tim, that you and I have discussed before, while we all want to avoid crisis, you never want to, however, not use a crisis and in a way of, of changing and, and needed change as you move forward. You've had every experience in the telecom industry imaginable from uh, both the CTO side, the financial side, the CEO side. So we're going to kind of pick your mind on that. You also serve on boards of Daimler and Mercedes, and you get involved with nonprofits and that balance between economic return for your company and employees, but also benefit to society. I know our views are very similar. Uh, you're a father to uh, adult uh, sons that are doing great. And uh, so today is a chance for us to exchange views. You are, in my opinion, and I'm very comfortable saying this, truly a, a, a telecommunication visionary. You were able to see changes coming at your organization and adjust. You understood the digital transformation, what it means to Germany, to Europe, to your company, and to the individuals. And you focused on tech for good as every organization becomes a digital company. You also understand the value of strategic partnerships and you're a courageous leader. You take risk and you go for it. So I want to thank you for joining us today and uh, uh, challenge uh, our audience to, to uh, learn from the sessions and your experience. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. May I ask the first question? Uh, it is so hard to get a company to change that has such a great brand and image. There's almost we're doing everything right. We don't need to change. And yet no one has had to change more than telecommunications industry over the last decade. How did you lead that transformation at DT? What were some of the lessons learned? Uh, uh, what did you do well? And maybe some of the, if you had it to do over, what would you do differently? So first, um, um, uh, it's great talking to you, John. And 
um, too much of appreciation for what uh, what I've done in the past. Um, one sentence, you know, of transformation comes to my mind, which is, by the way, a quote from Napoleon. Um, yes. uh, Napoleon was once asked, you know, uh, how can he be a successful warfarer? How can he win all these battles? In the in, in what is his strategy and what is his DNA? And he said, "We engage, and then we will see." And it sounds very simplistic, but if you look into the content of it, I think it is very insightful because there's one sentence: if you're not engaged, if you don't have passion or the right attitude, don't go into any battle. Don't go into any transformation in your company. And the second one is the second about um, um, then we will see. So don't be um, too dependent on your uh, original strategy. You know, be always adaptive to the situations uh, 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 where you are uh, where you are in, and it's changing constantly. And in these days, you sometimes get the feeling that even the the changes are coming much faster than um, than ever before. And therefore, you have to have an organization which is agile and is willing to adapt to these situations. Now, with regard to Deutsche Telekom, look, um, I have been very, very lucky with uh, my team here and with the organization of this 230,000 people uh, working globally. Because, you know, in our transformation, the first step what we did is saying, put your blinkers on and focus what matters most to our customers, which is network and service. And we have significantly increased the investments. Um, this year, investing 19 billion in infrastructure in our um, Western footprint where we are operating. And on top of that, we have said, we always want to be number one in the network perception and number one in the service. And I can tell you, apart from two smaller markets here in Europe, in every market where we're operating, and we have 13 markets where we're operating in the Western world with telecommunication services, we have achieved the number one leadership on networks, and we have achieved the number one position uh, on the service proposition. This was the first way of transforming the business, being very focused around the core. The second phase was on this transformation to say, there might be markets where you're structurally not positioned the right way. You can do everything, but if you have no right to win, because of, let's say, the political framework, the regulatory framework, let's say, an over-congestion of operators, you know, even um, change the portfolio in a way that you can win. And we have done some big dis uh, acquisitions. In, uh, in Austria, we bought a fixed-line carrier UPC, and we did the significant big step in the U.S. where we said we, we can do whatever we want, but we will never catch up to AT&T Verizon. Well, if we are small as we were at that point in time. And we merge, we take over Sprint, and now we are aiming for becoming the number one in the US. This was a transaction which started 30 billion market cap. Today, the company is worth 170 billion market cap in the US. And this transformation is by far the biggest portfolio chip which we changed. And now we are in the third phase of our transformation. And this is very much about the digitization of everything what we do. Because when you look on telcos in the future, if you want to serve a customer better, you need the insights, the data, and to understand them. Customers want to self-administrate. Customers want to have an individualized offer. Customers want to serve in a very personal way, enabled by software. If you think about the networks, the networks are not anymore classical infrastructures. They are moving into software and the home for the software 
is the cloud. So our network architecture is going into digitization, into software and cloud. And if you think about productivity of an organization, everything is enabled by digitization. So the big common denominator for this third phase is whatever you can do to digitize your business, do it. So this is the big paradigm which we are driving now these days to enable all these digital uh, services uh, which grew, uh, which are growing exponentially these days uh, and to enable this into the digital infrastructure which we provide. So these are the three main pillars of transformation which we have had. And there's a fourth pillar which was in all these phases very important and we might talk about that deeper, the cultural transformation. You know, uh, there's this famous sentence, I think it's from Drucker or whoever, who said, you know, a, a company without strategy is aimless, but a strategy without culture is powerless. And you need the attitude of leading, of winning, an attitude of self-confidence in your organization to succeed in this in this uh, challenging environment, you know, to, to be brave enough to do these steps. You know, there are five or six elements that you just touched on that I want to go after. I used to view agility as a marketing term and a, a term that I didn't uh, uh, feel comfortable with, and yet it is all about agility. The current generation of leaders, Tim, saw 12 years of economic growth. They have not seen a downturn. Uh, now we are seeing a downturn with geopolitical issues and supply chain issues that that unequaled any others. So maybe if you would, could you share a little bit, how did you manage during the good times, almost uh, eight years of, of a strong economy, and now as things get more challenging, are is your leadership still skills and your strategy different? Or, and how would you teach the young people listen to the session, kind of lessons learned managing through both the good times and now, what's going to be a little bit bumpy here for potentially a, a, a couple of years? I think in principle, uh, leading the company, I, I was trying always to be the same, uh, being very authentic and adapting to the situations. Um, it starts always, you know, when, when, we be, when we started, you know, our history was of a kind of, you know, incumbent, uh, state-owned incumbent, yes. and a mentality of not being customer-focused. Um, this is a little bit extreme, but... We have changed it to a company which is very proud about its magenta, about its tea, um, very proud about what they're doing. Self-confidence doesn't mean we should become complacent or arrogant. It means always, you know, staying grounded, but at the same time, you know, being um, brave and, and, and convinced that you can tackle these things. And I think this self-confidence, which we built with the success of our company over the last years and I have to say I'm very proud about what we have achieved. Um, John, you know, when I started, we were number four in Europe with a market cap of 34 billion. Um, today, our market cap is 95 billion. And I was number four in the European uh, um, orchestra here. There was Vodafone, there was Telefonica, Orange being bigger than us. Today, Deutsche Telekom is as big as all the three together. So, you know, we have overtaken all the players here in our office. So there is an indicator for success if your market cap is going up that, that, um, um, uh, that's uh, uh, strong compared to the others. There is this confidence which we can build around the brand. 
Today, the tea is the second most valuable brand of Germany in the world. It's very important to, to wear the brand, to show the brand. And, you know, our people are always running around with, you know, uh, magenta suits and, and, yes. and uh, showing, you know, um, some, I like that because if a company is, you know, on Instagram, if a company is on, on LinkedIn, always, you know, showing um, um, their, their, their company colors, it shows that something is convincing and customers read that. Customers smell that. You're not going out if you think your business is shitty. You know, you do this because you think you have something to offer. And that is what a customer feels, this emotional thing. And the third thing is um, now I think the question about we should not become complacent because of our success. For me, success is a big risk. You know, it's not that something which I really enjoy. I enjoy more the situation of being in a really difficult situation because then you have everybody aligned. Everybody knows you have to fix it. If a company is successful, there are a lot of voices. Everybody has ideas. People are getting a little bit more, let's say, complacent in their, their work attitude. And it's now very important for me in my leadership now to make clear, okay, this race is going on. It's a marathon. And we should keep the same attitude as we had at the beginning now for the upcoming years. Uh, and to keep this momentum uh, rolling, this is, I think, um, uh, the most important um, change which, uh, which I have to do right now. You know, it's interesting. You and I have talked since we first met about digitization and how technology is going to change business models and the role of the telecom leader in making that happen. Out of the new technologies, are there certain ones that you get more excited about, whether it's the IoT opportunity, the cloud moving to the edge, artificial intelligence, 5G? How do you position your company, which really is a technology digitization company first, to enable those uh, countries across Europe that you service? And yeah. is there one particular technology you're most excited about or the combination? You know, John, I'm always excited about the latest technology. Sometimes I'm overexcited and too early. Uh, um, this is always the problem uh, uh, with this, with these ideas and this creativity of our digital ecosystem. Um, and your question is very broad. So the first thing there is a bread and butter must-do business in technology, yes. which I see. And uh, um, we have to bring our networks into cloud. Um, we have to you know, take the opportunities of software-driven infrastructure. Um, that means um, we have to dismantle the mobile towers, uh, taking the intelligence of a tower out, bring it into a centralized cloud infrastructure where we can better change, maintain, steer, and secure software than doing it um, tower by tower. It brings a big productivity gain as well. Um, but I think the the time to market of changing things in the infrastructure uh, and the productivity is the main driver um, behind this ambition. There is a great opportunity for us to serve customer better if we do what everybody does, understanding um, the data in a better way. So AI and data intelligence is it's at the core of everything what we are doing. And uh, so understanding this data Protecting, by the way, a lot of data as well um, is something which, uh, which, which excites me. What, what, what is changing constantly are the use cases. 
the um, what you have. And by the way, we always neglect in these discussions the area of B2B. Um, let me start with B2B. Look, we have seen the change from a classical MPLS, from a classical a fixed line connection in the business area, now into SDX. And with SDX, I have a lot of possibilities to steer uh, customers' uh, connectivity in a much better way. Um, the same, by the way, everything of SDX is software. Yeah. So the way how you steer calls, the way how you organize unified communication services, the way how you uh, interlink between connectivity on mobile and fixed line, all this kind of things has to be managed by intelligent software that people have an easier way to connect to each other. This is software which we have to do and which we have to, uh, uh, to drive. There are a lot of things in the use cases on the B2C side where I'm excited about. I'm very excited about um, the metaverse for one example. I yeah. think it is a very, very interesting thing which is coming. Um, and, uh, and therefore, what is the role of a telco player in this one? 5G and the capability of managing latency for customers being in the metaverse with all this huge data use, which they have in this case, is definitely an opportunity for us to grow. I even believe that the blockchain is a big enabler for this metaverse in the way how consumers are interacting in their um, uh, uh, um, uh, metaverses. And so therefore, blockchain is another opportunity which we are driving. And on the B2B side, the internet of things and the opportunities here. And even the metaverse in the B2B field is something where I'm very excited about. You know, if you think about digital twins, if yes. you think about, let's say, a manufacturing, which is built in a viral world in parallel to the real world, and you can simulate everything in real time in this metaverse and transferring this learning then on time, into the real world creates so much productivity for, for our industries that I'm convinced that this is a real use case um, uh, for, the, for, for the B2B application. And here you need um, all the connectivity needs. Here you need big data capacity. Here you need real-time management. Here you need um, uh, all, let's say, the uh, enablers which a telco industry is providing. So. There are a lot of areas which we have to evolve, but you know we have to stay focused and not you know um, get distracted here. You know what's fascinating uh, is we've been talking the strategy and the vision for the future of Deutsche Telekom, the industry, new technologies, but your opening comments also focused on the importance of culture. Uh, most young leaders and and a huge amount of the listeners to the two hundred sixty thousand plus. Uh, uh, LinkedIn followers we have uh, want to know about strategy and vision, and they don't realize, at least in my opinion, and one of the things I try to do with my startups is teach them that culture is equally as important. How did you get that your company to understand the importance of culture? How would you describe DT's culture? And for a young listener today, uh, or an experienced listener who's trying to understand why is culture equally important to the strategy and vision? as a Warren Buffett would say, or as candidly, most great leaders, including yourself, would say. Educate us a little bit here, Tim. How do you think about it, and how do you describe your culture to your employees? 
Look, the Corona crisis um, has changed the way how people are managing their businesses um, uh, dramatically. Um, so um, there is a lot of change which is taking place. Empowerment um, is something which has got more relevance than it had before in a tailored world. Um, there is, I think, um, a big challenge for us, you know, that uh, in these big corporations, there should be no alienation alienation from, from responsibility so that nobody is responsible at the end of the day. Um, there is the question about this constant learning which is needed to, to understand um, the digital uh, um, uh, opportunities. People are afraid. And if you're afraid about something, you know, you will never transform into it because then you stay where you were. Then you stay where you, what, you, what you know. So what are we doing with regard to culture? I'll give you one practical example. We have digitization as one of our main topics of our strategy. Now, digitization is for a lot of people, not the nerds, not the software the geeks in our company, is something they are afraid of. So what we are doing is every month we have an evening where we have a tutorial about a specific digital topic. Yeah, we were talking about blockchain, we were talking about programming languages, we were talking about chipset development, we were talking about um, uh, the data and AI and the algorithms, how they are working, so that everybody at least gets a feeling and an understanding, a better understanding about this, this topic. Take away the fear people have about something they don't know. The second thing is, you know, what I think for culture is very important is that you move in one direction as a company. It was right in the past and is still right in the future. Alignment. If I think about alignment, I always think about that my role is the role of a chief ambiguity officer. You know, because it's very often in this new world, people want to go in the new direction and others want to stay what they know and defend the old one. Now, if these people are standing, you know, to each other, they are neutralizing themselves. They are neutralizing themselves. Nothing is happening. So we have a duty in our company that if they cannot solve the problem, they have to escalate it to the next level. If the next level cannot sort out the ambiguity of a decision, it has to get escalated another level up. It's a duty to escalate ambiguity. And therefore, at the end of the day, my role is I'm the chief ambiguity officer because the problems which get not solved, that at least we are aligned going into one direction. The third one is for me, you know, what is what we are striving for? Good is not leading. Whatever you do, do it in a leading fashion. Whatever you are striving for, do it better than the others. Try to do it better than the others because good is not leading. And if everybody has a leading attitude, if my accountants do everything leading, if my, 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 my um, staff does the things leading, if my customer service are doing it with a leading attitude, the aggregation of all of this is a successful company. And to create this mentality of, we always want to be leading. You always find it in our, we want to be the leading digital telco. I know it's a high ambition, 
but at least ambition is defined. We wanted to be the leading European telco. Today, we are the leading European telco. The, this is, we want to, I, I always say to my people, bring me awards. Because awards is always a kind of element which gives, it's a symbol for that we have done something in a leading, in a leading uh, matter. And then I think the most important thing is that um, put yourself always into the shoes of the customers. Look, I think it sounds banal, but it is not. If you're living a big corporate organization like Deutsche, you have a talk to the customer. The customer has created a need. You want to build that need in your proposition. And then the problem starts in your organization. The IT cannot deliver, or at not least 100%. The legal constraints are at the are. There is, you know, financial constraints of implementing it. And at the end of the day, the product which you're delivering is not what the custom has asked for. And if everybody is trying to be more consequent on putting themselves into what the customer really has asked for, he, at the end of the day, the product is being perceived from the customer in a better way. Your net promoter scores are the, indi indi uh, the indication of whether you have fulfilled um, uh, the expectation. So culture for me is an, the attitude of how you do things. And maybe if I have a very important formula for young leaders, my formula is success is discipline plus skill times attitude. So right. the relevance of your attitude is significantly more important than your capabilities and even your, your willingness to work hard. And this is something, the attitude of how you do things. This is, I think, what we are training here. This is what I want to see uh, if I'm talking to people, if I'm selecting people. And that the attitude is always, you know, for me more relevant when I talk to a new candidate than really about his CV and, 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 and what he has performed so far. You know, anybody that's applying to Deutsche Telekom should be taking notes on this. I love the culture. Customer first, number one, or don't compete. Dream big and do it in collaboration and bring the whole team power behind it. So strategy and vision culture. Innovation is a key part of the future of any company. You all have innovated in a way your counterparts have not, in my opinion, anywhere else in the world. How do you think about innovation in terms of what you do internally, what you do with large strategic partners, customers? what you do with startups, what you do in terms of getting the startup innovation, whether it's the vaccines or others, often the new technology innovation comes from startups. How do you do that combination of innovation and how do you think about it? And teach us a little bit on why you've been successful here. By the way, John, I, I have to admit that a telco um, is not the most innovative company. Um, if I look, you know, your uh, history at Cisco on all these high-tech developments, or if I think about the startup scene, you know, or the Valley ecosystem, uh, about really creating entirely new ideas, our role as a telecommunication company, our purpose, what everybody, you know, showed us, we are connecting people. And we have to build the most modern and most innovative infrastructure to provide 
um, uh, connectivity to all the opportunities uh, which are out there and what the customers are looking. So, by the way, our investment cycles are very long. Uh, my view is that we are leading in 5G and we are leading in fiber. This is our simple infrastructure strategy. And by the way, this is lasting long because it takes a, a while to build all this infrastructure. And my investments are now built for the next 30, maybe 40 years, the fiber infrastructure, which we are building um, uh, uh, at that point in time. And we are thinking as well, what can we do in the US to improve the fixed line connectivity in this market, which is poor today compared, for instance, to the European ecosystem, um, where customers always have both a very high speed internet at home and a good 5G services uh, uh, in, in, the mobile, uh, in the mobile space. On top of that, you have this innovation piece. And my view is that the people who are building infrastructure are normally very conservative people. They are building for long, long time frames. And they know what they do, and they do that forever and forever and forever. And therefore, if you come with new ideas, they're first distance. So what you need are people sitting in this ground who are not only good in what they're doing, but even have hunger of desire of challenging the status quo. I'll give you a concrete example. If you are looking today on the process of fiber build-out, you know, the fiber build-out is made in a kind of manufacturing way. It's like handmade. If you have splicing, you put the uh, fibers together, there is a kind of a process which is very complex. The people are working on the ground. They don't have the equipment. looks like a handicraftman who is building it. I'm running now an investment cycle here in Germany, which is 30 billions big for fiber build-out. I have a, a, a size of an industry which I can entirely reshape. So what we are trying to do is bringing like open source into it. Question in the outside world, do you have ideas how we can better or industrialize this fiber rollout in the world? So bring the innovation from the outside with the partner ecosystem into our legacy organization. The second thing is, you know, the inner innovation is we are saying we should not build it in this classical old businesses, but a side of the business. So that this people have more freedom to develop these um, this ideas. And we don't put them into this strong envelope of the corporate organization. They have much bigger freedom in the way how they allocate money, not regarding the fiscal year. We have a big venture fund, uh, which is sitting there bringing partners into our ecosystem where we own equity. By the way, we have now the third fund. We have $2 billion under under fire in our DT Capital Venture Fund. Um, and we have, a, 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 we have teams across the globe who are working on new ideas, um, which, are, which we call beyond core, so beyond the classical network, which is sitting on top of that. The key for it is open APIs, that it's easy for them to connect into the classical infrastructure business. This is, I think, one of the ways that these two things fit together at the end of the day. And I can give you a lot of examples, um, but maybe I make a, um, a point here first. Oh, no, I think you made it extremely well in doing innovation. 
And I think you do it in a very humble way. You've been an amazingly innovative company. And I think that's one of the three or four key reasons you you broke away from your peers, not just in Europe, but in the world. Maybe the last question, which is remembering we're here to help teach and mentor uh, so many of our listeners. Is there one lesson in leadership or in doing with crisis or innovation or culture? One lesson that you know now you wish you had learned 25 years ago uh, that will be a benefit to uh, our, our listeners and, and then maybe summarize uh, on whatever way you feel comfortable with our discussion today. But I, I kind of like that as a closing question uh, for me and others to learn from you. I think the most important thing is that everything which has to do with customers or with transactions, everything what has to do um, uh, with uh, with the outside world um, is to 50% emotional. We always think everything is rational. And we train our people to be very rational in the way how they are looking at things. But if you are in an interaction with a human, and if it comes to a process of buying, there's a lot of emotion into this one. And therefore, to put emotions into your business with regard to your employees, give them a purpose, give them a pride, give them moments of celebration, I think it is from, from a high importance. The second thing is nothing is perfect. Um, so look, my my recipe of surviving is I'm always um, I'm never satisfied. So the good thing is be never happy with where you are. Always, you know, trying to strive for the next thing and for the next thing. And and I, I I'm worried that you know I'm at once you know coming to the situation where I say no everything is fine. But this constant staying of being curious about new things always trying to challenge your status quo, whatever, you know, success you have achieved. This, this, un, this unrest is, I think, one of the most important leadership um, uh, capabilities or attitudes you should look around you. And if I would say what I've learned um, over the years in that, in that role, being in a big corporate, you have to be able to handle second guessing. Second guessing is, you know, you sit as a leader and the higher you get, the more voices you hear. And you have to train yourself, you know, to find your own competence. It's not that you are administrating something. It's not that you can wait that somebody has the better idea. It is you who must have the capability to know this is right and this is wrong. And that sounds easy, but it's very difficult for me because you always have intelligent, smart people around you who have a good opinion, um, but they are creating a lot of ambiguity in big corporations. And uh, to be competent in your discipline, really competent, understanding, let's say, still in this, in this CEO role, what technology you're working in, what that means from, from an impact to your processes. What it means for the customers at the end of the day is very hard because you are so distracted by, by other things, but you need it 
to make your choices because otherwise you get distracted by all, let's say, the second guesses around you and then you lose the line of sight. And maybe something I have to learn personally, think big. You know, if I would start again, I would be even more ambitious um, than I have been uh, in my tenure now over the last eight years as a CEO. Tim, we speak with different accents, but our visions are the same. Number one, or don't compete. Uh, great leaders like Jack Welch you know, taught us that at an earlier age. Shimon Perez, who passed away a couple of years ago, dream big or don't dream. No room for small <laughs> dreams in the world. And the willingness to bring a team with you and having the courage that has a healthy give and take are lessons we all learned. I was sitting here taking notes during the time uh, that you were talking, and, and I learned a lot today. I hope that our viewers did as well. I cannot thank you enough for being on our session. I want to thank the people listening uh, today and in the future uh, for taking the time and encourage you to uh, rate and review Chambers Talks on whatever uh, podcast listening platform that you use as we go forward. But most important, Tim, I want to thank you for the friendship, your courage, and I will always be there. You know, my view is friends for life, and it's an honor being your friend. Friends for life, John, and I hope to see you soon in person. Would like that very much. Maybe okay. get in my house and maybe room for a round of golf. Yeah, that would be perfect. You know, you always have to stay happy as a person. That is, I think, another advice which uh, is so important for the people. You know, I learned that, you know, uh, that if you have a problem at home, you bring it into the office, you cannot perform. If you have a problem in the office, you bring it home and you cannot, you know, have a happy life. It is a very, very important thing that you stay balanced in your life and uh, always focus on the two angles and not just on one angle alone. And uh, I think, you know, our exchange was always, you know, about business, but as well about um, uh, having a good time together. Thank you for that. Uh, Tim, it was a pleasure. You can hear our dogs in the background. So obviously I'm doing this from home and I, I agree with you, a positive attitude and, and focus on uh, uh, enjoying life as we go forward is key. So again, thanks everybody for joining us and be safe.